So two weeks ago, I uh, led a science fair at my school. It was for, I teach eighth grade, and this science fair was actually for the younger gr- grades, grades one through four. And one cool thing we do is we have the high school seniors come down, and they get to judge the little kids' science fair project. So they ask them all the questions. They ask them, um, you know, why did you do this? What was your hypothesis and all that? And it's a lot of fun. It's fun to watch the, the different ages interact. Some kids do really well with, with little guys, and then some of the seniors don't do very well with little guys. But during our downtime, I always like to ask the seniors what their future plans are. They have some big decisions to make coming up over the next couple months. And, uh, of course, I start, you know, have any of you decided what college you're going to? Have you decided what you're going to major in? Have you decided what your career path is going to be. And of course, they have some time uh, to change all of those answers right now. But how they answer those questions is going to have a very large impact on their life. What school they choose, what major they choose, and what career they choose will decide many things. It will decide where they can live. It will decide how much money they can make. It will decide... uh, Just many, many things coming up. But today, we're actually going to see a question that Jesus asked that is far larger than any of those questions. It's much deeper than any of those questions, and it carries far more significance than any of those questions that I asked the seniors two weeks ago. All right, we have a lot of Scripture to work through today. Uh, It is the story of Lazarus. And it is 44 verses, and I'm going to do my best to get through this in half an hour. Uh, So if I skip over some stuff, forgive me, uh, but uh, let's get started without any further delay here. So let's start in John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. And wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. All right, so we have the the introduction here to the main characters in this story. We have Mary and Martha and their brother who is ill, Lazarus. And Mary was actually very famous at this point among Christian circles because Mary did something rather outrageous, actually. Uh, We haven't read about it yet in John's Gospel. The story is coming up. But John, in writing this Gospel, knows that his audience has already heard this story. Mary takes a jar of ointment that is worth roughly a year's wages. Almost a year's wages. And then she uses that ointment and she anoints Jesus' feet with it. Now feet in those days were not a pretty thing. Many people still don't think feet are pretty. But back then they were even worse. And it was considered only the lowest servant's job to do something like this. And so Mary has taken something very expensive, very, uh, you know, has a lot of worth to it. 
she has taken that and she has anointed Jesus' feet with it. And even more than that, she then used her own hair to rub Jesus' feet. Now that was an outrageous thing to do, but it showed the importance of Jesus in Mary's life. And so, Mary already has this good reputation. The story about her in Christian circles is widely known. And this man, Lazarus, who is ill, is Mary's brother. And it's quite obvious that it wasn't just Mary who had a good relationship with Jesus, but it was all three of them. Because when they send for Jesus, they send for Him and they tell Him that He whom you love is ill. So Jesus obviously loves this whole family. This is a close family to Jesus. They are His close friends and He has a deep relationship with them. And so it would be troubling both to Jesus and to the disciples to hear that Lazarus has fallen ill. And obviously this is a serious illness if they are sending for Jesus. Jesus' response, I would think, to the disciples would give some comfort though. He tells them that this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And I think the disciples probably breathed a big sigh of relief here because Bethany is near Jerusalem. It's in Judea. And the last time they were there, the Jews had tried to stone Jesus. So I think the disciples at this point are probably breathing a big sigh of relief when they hear that this illness isn't going to lead to death. They're probably like, whew, okay, we don't have to go back into Judea. We don't have to face getting stoned again. And they hang out actually there for two more days. And after those two days, Jesus said in verse uh, 8, or excuse me, 7, let us go to Judea again. So they've had two days, they've relaxed, they, they don't think they're going to have to worry about this, and then Jesus just drops the bomb on them. Hey, we're going back to Judea now. <clears throat> and his, I have to imagine all the, the disciples at that moment, they kind of, there's that moment of silence when you hear something that you just think is crazy, where everyone just gets quiet for a moment, and they're looking to make sure that Jesus is serious in what he's saying here, and that he's not joking around. And then as soon as they realize he's serious, all the disciples, it says the disciples, plural here, are saying, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? they got to think, you're crazy, Jesus. They, they just tried to smash your dome in with some rocks. Why are we going back there again? This is not a place we want to be. And you just said Lazarus was going to get better a couple days back. Why in the world... Are we going to go back? And Jesus is going to give one of his trademark responses that uh, we've seen again and again in John. A response that at first seems kind of funny, maybe a little bit out of left field. And then when you realize what he means, you realize that he is actually going straight to the heart of the matter with his response. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is 
alluding to, or not so much alluding, but echoing something that actually the prophet Jeremiah had said a long time before this. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 13 prophesied to the nation of Israel, and he said, Give God glory before darkness comes, before you stumble. Recall that Jesus had just told them that this whole situation, Lazarus being ill, this whole situation is about God's glory and God getting glory and Jesus getting glory through this. So for them to walk in the light, that means that they need to walk in God's will. God has given them an opportunity to bring glory to Him. And anytime God gives you an opportunity to bring glory, you take that opportunity. To not take that opportunity would be to do the opposite. To not give God glory would be to walk in darkness. And that is never a good thing, and it never ends well. In fact, in Jeremiah, unfortunately, Israel and the king of Israel, Zedekiah, do not listen to Jeremiah. They do not give God glory. And so the darkness that Jeremiah prophesies about comes. And Babylon invades Jerusalem and takes King Zedekiah captive and kills all of his sons in front of his own eyes. And then after that, they gouge his eyes out and lead him off into captivity in Babylon. You can see a similar story repeated over and over and over again in the Old Testament where people are given the opportunity to give God glory, to follow God's will, to walk in the light, and instead they do the opposite. And it never, ever ends well for them. This is not going to be one of those stories. This is going to be a story of Jesus beautifully walking in the light, Even though there is danger in what they are doing, Jesus doesn't focus on that. And He doesn't want the disciples to focus on that either. He wants them to focus on bringing God glory. And God has given them an opportunity to do that. This whole situation is going to be about bringing God glory and about bringing Jesus glory. So because of that, they are going to be able to get into Judea They're going to be able to do this thing that they have been called. And Jesus tells them exactly what they are going to do. Exactly, specifically, what he is going to do. After saying these things, he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death But they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. The disciples, uh, it almost always seems like they're a little slow on the uptake because Jesus tries to put this uh, subtly at first. He's trying not to be too blunt about it. And he tells them that Lazarus has fallen asleep, which, by the way, was a common way of saying someone had died. It wasn't that rare to put it this way. Uh, But 
again, they're still thinking along of what Jesus had said earlier, that this illness does not lead to death. And so they don't think that there's any way Lazarus has died and that doesn't even enter their, their mind. And so Jesus has to clarify it for them. We're not going because he fell asleep, guys. I know he didn't just fall asleep. Anybody could wake him then. Lazarus has died. And then he tells them that for their sake, he's glad that he was not there so that they may see and believe. That was kind of interesting to me because when I think back, they've seen a lot of amazing things Jesus has done already. You know, we started early off. In fact, the first sermon I got to preach was on two of Jesus' miracles. He turned water into wine and gallons and gallons, like hundreds of gallons of wine. And then he also cured an illness. And then he cured more people's illnesses. And they had seen the lame walk again. And they had seen the blind healed and received their sight. And even though it's not recorded in John's Gospel, if we read other Gospels, we know that at one point already they had seen Jesus raise a girl from the dead. So that has already happened, but there was this, the circumstances under which it happened was Jesus was on his way already to heal the girl. And so she hadn't been dead for very long. So there might have been some doubt in their minds as to what really happened there. Uh, to use a, a phrase from the Princess Bride, maybe she was mostly dead instead of all dead when Jesus got there. But this isn't going to be the case this time. Lazarus is going to die, and it's going to be a while before they get there. Lazarus is going to be all dead. And Jesus is glad because it's going to prove once and for all that He is who He says He is to the disciples. In fact, this is built up as the climax of the miracles that we have seen in John. John is leading it up to this point to show that Jesus has the power of life over death. That is in His hands. That is the miracle of all miracles. Or as John would call it, the sign of all signs. If this doesn't point them to Jesus, then nothing else is going to. He is glad that Lazarus has died before they got there so that his disciples would see and believe in him. Apparently, Jesus' pep talk hasn't really convinced all of them yet. Because Thomas, the twin, uh, comes, up with, uh, comes up to the disciples and he didn't really buy into what Jesus was saying about not stumbling when they were going because he tells them, let us go also that we may die with him. So Thomas isn't really convinced that they're going to be successful in their mission here, but he loves Jesus and he has given his life to Jesus up to this point. And now he's ready that even if it means they're going to be stoned when they go, he's willing to go. Let's continue on in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So, Jesus is coming and Lazarus has been in the tomb four days by the time he arrives. And Martha runs out to him. And Martha actually shows amazing faith. She shows that she knows who Jesus is. She believes in Jesus. She comes up to him and she says, I know that if you had been here, he would not have died. But she doesn't just stop there, she continues on. And she really indirectly is asking Jesus for something huge here. She says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. He will hear you. He will answer what you ask. See, Martha knows who Jesus is. She believes He is who He says He is. And Jesus gives her a reply that doesn't quite satisfy her. He said, your brother will rise again. And Martha, at this time, like many Jews did, uh, not all the group of Sadducees did not believe there was a resurrection, but a resurrection coming. But most Jews, and including the Pharisees, believed that there was a resurrection coming. That on the last day, the dead will rise. That they will come all, both righteous and unrighteous, and stand before the throne of God to be judged. The righteous, of course, will inherit eternal life. And the unrighteous will inherit an eternal death instead. She knows that that day is coming. And she's like, yes, Jesus, I know that He will rise again on the last day. Jesus' response to her is amazing. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, He is not talking about that general resurrection where everybody is going to rise and face judgment before God. He is a specific, a wonderful, a glorious, eternal resurrection. I am the resurrection, He says. That that you are hoping for in the future, you're looking at it now. There is a resurrection now. I am the resurrection. And the life. In Jesus is eternal life. 
And he goes on, he kind of expands on this further. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live again. There's the resurrection. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There is that life, that eternal life. And it is offered only in Jesus. And then Jesus asks the question of all questions. That question that is far more important than anything I asked those seniors at the science fair. He looks at Martha and he asks her, do you believe this? Everything about Martha's future and her eternal destiny hinges on her answer to this question. And Martha answers, yes, Lord. I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha answers in the affirmative. She answers yes. And because she answered yes then, she will receive that resurrection. And she will receive that life in Jesus. See, Jesus' resurrection isn't just about the resurrection on the last day. It's about a resurrection here and a resurrection now. And so the story continues on, and we're going to continue on. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 32. And now we have Mary, Martha's sister, who has come out. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, we've heard that before, right? From her sister. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. And He said, Where have You laid Him? They said to Him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So Martha comes out and she responds, or excuse me, Mary comes out and she responds in a similar manner to her sister Martha. She says, if you had been here, he would not have died. She doesn't really carry on that thought anymore like Martha did. She leaves it at that. And Jesus sees her weeping. He sees that she is crushed by this. And He looks around and He sees the whole crowd and they are crying and weeping and mourning Lazarus as well. Jesus asks where they've laid Him and they said, come and see. And at this moment as where Jesus is coming to see Lazarus as he looks out and he sees all the pain and all the sadness. Jesus wept. Everyone's favorite Bible memory verse. One verse, two words, John 11.35, Jesus wept. And there's been a lot of talk about why did Jesus cry? Jesus clearly knows He is here to bring God glory. He knows He is here to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that in just a few moments, they're going to roll the stone away from the tomb and everything is going to be fine. So why is Jesus crying? 
I think the best answer to this is because Jesus is human. Jesus is the God-man. He is not just some far-off God who has no idea what we're going through. No, Jesus came and He lived a human life. He had to work in order to eat. He had to sleep in order to get rest. He loved people. He saw people. He loved die. And so Jesus knows what it is to lose a loved one. He is fully human. He can sympathize with the human condition. And so looking around and seeing His close friends in pain, even though it is temporary pain, that moves Him. And He mourns with them. He cries with them. I've been to many Christian funerals where we know the person who has died loved Jesus, had faith in Jesus, and that that person will receive eternal life. We know that. But that doesn't stop the pain now. And I would never go up to that family and just tell them to stop crying. Don't be sad. You're going to see him again. That would be pretty cold and heartless of me. I don't know why we would expect Jesus to do something different. He can sympathize with them. And He does. And Jesus, the God-man, cries. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone lay, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to Him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus commands the unthinkable in two ways here, actually. The first way, He commands the unthinkable when He asks them to roll the stone away. Remember, it's been four days since Lazarus has died. I don't know if you've ever been around an animal that has been dead for four days, but it stinks. Martha saying that there will be an odor is an understatement here. One of my, actually my very first job was working on a hog farm. And every day one of our jobs was to go make sure that there were no deads, dead pigs in the, in the pig pens. And usually you would get all of them, but every once in a while one would die behind the barn or behind a post and you'd miss it for a few days. And then you'd, even above the rest of the pig stench, you would be able to smell this terrible odor. So Martha Stopping Jesus here isn't crazy. If Lazarus has been dead four days, there should be a stench 
that will pretty much instantly be gag-inducing. It is not going to smell good. But Jesus reassures her here. They aren't going to roll away the stone and find a bloated, stinking corpse. When they roll away this stone, she is going to see the glory of God. And so, apparently Martha consents and they roll away the stone. And then Jesus prays. And His prayer is interesting because you'll notice that in this prayer, Jesus never asked God to raise Lazarus from the dead. Apparently, He has already done that. And Jesus knows that His Father, God, has heard Him and answered Him already. But the point of this prayer is not, again, for Lazarus, but for the people around so that they will know that Jesus is who He has said He was the whole time. That He is the Son of God. That He was sent from God. And then He does the second unthinkable thing. He actually calls out to a dead man. Or what they think should be a dead man. Lazarus, come out. And He does. He does. At that moment, I would have to think you could have heard a pin drop. Because dead men do not rise. They didn't in the minds of people back then either. It's not like we're looking back 2,000 years and going, oh, these people were gullible. They knew that dead people didn't rise. And yet, they have just seen it. And there is only one person who could have done that. Only God has that power. And if Jesus can do it, then Jesus must be sent from God. I was actually thinking as I read through this that I'm glad Jesus didn't do this today because with the zombie apocalypse craze, I'm pretty sure someone would have tried to shoot Lazarus. Thankfully, there were no guns and no zombie movies back then. Now, this is not the ultimate... Well, I, I said that this has been the ultimate sign. This has been the climax of all the signs we have seen in the book of John so far. There is going to come an even greater one than this. There's going to be another death. There's going to be another tomb with a stone rolled in front of it, and there is going to be another resurrection in John. And this one is going to have an impact that goes far beyond just one family in one town. This is going to be the death of Jesus and His burial. And a stone is going to be rolled in front of His tomb, and it's going to be sealed. But Jesus is not going to need someone else to come remove that stone. Jesus is not going to need someone else to come save Him. Jesus is going to die on the cross, not from illness, but at the hands of Romans for our sins. And when He rises, 
again. He is going to crush death. It is going to be abolished in His resurrection. He is the ultimate resurrection. And the beautiful thing is, well, one of the many beautiful things about Jesus' resurrection is that it's not just about the future. Jesus' resurrection is not just about that final resurrection when we all stand before God and before His throne to be judged. No, Jesus' resurrection is about a resurrection even now. As Joffrey read to start off our service today, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. The zombie apocalypse is now. The dead are walking now, actually, because people, when they sin, death enters their lives. That is the wages of sin, is death. And we were once among the dead. And like Lazarus, we needed someone to call us out of death. We needed someone to bring us to life. And that is exactly what God did through Jesus Christ. If your faith is in Him, then you have already been resurrected from the dead. You have already been resurrected from that. And there is coming another resurrection. Again, that ultimate resurrection where everybody rises up and stands before God's throne. And if you answered that important question that was asked earlier the same way Martha did, then you will have the eternal life that Jesus was talking about. That is only in Him. A life full of glorifying God, of dwelling in His glory, of enjoying fellowship with Him, and of never tasting, never seeing, never being hurt by death again. Amen.